The most uh, disrespected birthday, I think of all the birthdays, is the 15th birthday. At least for guys. I've been to a quinceanera, actually. Um, so, so for girls, it might not be the, 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 the same thing. But um, the topic of, of 15th birthdays has come up in our household. Um, which means that uh, the person who is interested in the 15th birthday is really thinking about the 16th birthday. Um, that's, that's really the important one. And so, in, in regards to the 16th birthday, the topic of motorcycles has come up. Um, you'll notice, uh, if you drove in this morning, the uh, sign on, the, uh, on, our, uh, on our marquee out there was contrary to popular opinion. So, uh, but the motorcycles kind of interesting. Uh, I learned to ride a motorcycle. You'll notice I don't have a motorcycle anymore. There are three kinds of motorcycle riders. Uh, not sure if you know this. There are those who've laid their bike down. There are those who are going to lay their bike down. And there are those who are going to lay it down again. So, so I've laid mine down, and we're done. So, uh, when we were when I was learning to ride, we, we started in a in a in a field. I don't know if that was a smart thing to do or not, uh, but at least I didn't get too too badly injured. Um, so, so we're driving. He says, now when we get out on the road. Right now, we're just going really slow. He says, um, he said, when you turn, when you want to turn to the left, you need to push a little on the left side of the, of, of the handlebars. And I thought, that's not logical, because if I want to go that way, or if I want to go that way, I think I need to do this. That would make me think I want to push on this side. He said, nope. You want to push on the left side if you want to go left. When you're going fast, maybe you slow, it's different. So we got on the highway, and I didn't trust his advice. So, fortunately it was a wide lane, and, uh, and so I, here comes a, a little curve around to the left, and I pushed right, and I almost drove off the road. <laughs> so I was like, whoa! <laughs> That works. I'm like, try it again. It's like, how does that happen? How does it do? It's contrary to popular opinion. It would be contrary to the way I would, I would logically think of things. That's, um, that's, that's the way it works. It's just the way it works. And it might not be the way you would reason it out. But some things don't work the way we reason it out. Like, I'm going to be 16, therefore I should have a motorcycle. It's not going to work that way. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 20. This is not going to be our main text, but it just kind of established this idea. It says, The anger of the Lord will not turn back, Jeremiah 23, 20, until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. And in the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. Jeremiah is writing some years before they're getting ready to go into Babylon. They're going to be there, and in, in, in chapter 25, he's going to tell them exactly how long they're going to be there, 70 years. Now imagine you're a little kid, and someone tells you, someday you're going to understand this. Someday you'll understand. Some, someday you'll understand this. You might Ten years down the road, when you're a little bit more mature, or you kind of graduate, and I said, someday you're going to understand this. If I told you, someday you're going to understand this, but you're going to be about 85 when you understand it. 
Yeah, I've got to wait that long to understand this thing. Can you, you know, speed up the learning process, right? He says, no, in the latter days, when, when you'll understand all this about 70 years from now. It doesn't seem logical to me. I, I want to know everything right now. I don't want to have to wait. Some things don't seem logical. Jeremiah chapter 25. We're going to skip around just a little bit before we get to our text. Jeremiah 25, and this is the, the, when he predicts the 70 years. But in verse 9, he says, for example, um, <clears throat> Behold, I will send and I will take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants. And against these nations all around will destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolation. He calls Nebuchadnezzar a servant of God. Now, if I'm sure someone thought back then, as they were being taken to Babylon, this guy is a narcissistic, pagan, behaving dictator. I've actually been to... Um, uh, we, we spent some time in Berlin, and while we were there, because we ended up having to spend a lot of time there because my documents were getting done correctly like three times. So we ended up spending a very expensive month in Berlin. And uh, so one of the things we did is, is try to see as many museums and culture things with our kids as we could. And one of them is called the Pergamot Museum. And the Pergamot Museum is really interesting because it has uh, the, the one thing that, the only positive thing I think you could say for, for Adolf Hitler is that he enjoyed art. That was the only positive thing you can say about him. Um, however, he approached art like he approached his politics, and he basically took whatever he wanted. Uh, so, so in Berlin, all you can see, it's kind of like Vegas, where you can see the entire world's great things right there in, right there in Berlin. He took everything that he liked and brought it to, uh, to uh, Berlin. And so he's got one museum. You go in, and, and, and you can see the, the Pergamon Temple. Uh, that's... Uh, for example, where in Revelation, where, where John wrote and said, you can, uh, you know, I know where you live, where the, the throne of Satan is. And he's talking, and there was the church of Pergamos. Well, this is this temple that, that John was writing about. And it's there in Berlin. Uh, you, can, you can walk down the hall, and you can, you can see this marketplace. It's the marketplace um, of, of Miletus. And Miletus was where the apostle Paul went. Uh, where he met the Ephesian elders when he told them, I'm not going to see you anymore, and they all cried, and, and he went back and was arrested and taken to Rome. Uh, and you can see that marketplace where Paul stood. And, and, and there's a big doorway in, in Miletus, and you can walk through and step back about 700 years. And you can turn around, and you can see the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. And, and it's a big, big blue thing, right? And there's an inscription, if you read... If you read Daniel, the opening of Daniel, and, and it's Nebuchadnezzar writes, Oh, I have built this great thing with my hands, and I'm so awesome. And just this really narcissistic statement. It's written right there. It's all pictures, and they, they've translated it for you. But it's, it's the same basic concept, written right there on the Ishtar Gate. And this is what all the Jews came in, and they saw this narcissistic guy. This really, I'm so self-important, and look at me, and I'm so wonderful, and I'm the greatest thing that ever lived. And they read this as they came into Babylon. And God said, that's my servant. That's contrary to popular opinion. That, that, that doesn't jive with the way I would think of things. I don't want to think of God using people like that. But he did. 
In Jeremiah chapter 16. There's another thing. We're still not quite at our text. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 13. He says, Therefore I will cast you out of this land into a land that you don't know, neither your fathers, and there you shall serve all the gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. Now, why is he sending them into this land of idols? Because they worshipped idols. When I was a kid, I thought it was strange that when I and my brother were fighting, and we were hitting each other, that my mother would then take us into the other room and spank us to show us that we shouldn't hit each other. (laughs) That doesn't seem, that's contrary to popular opinion. That doesn't seem to to jive with the but it worked. It worked. And God says, here, you like idols so much, I'm going to send you where you're completely surrounded by them. And they're probably thinking, that doesn't seem, why would you send us to a place of idols when you're trying to get us to not Worship idols. Well, if you want to go left, you've got to push left sometimes. I'm going to let you see what it is I don't want you to have. You're going to get it up close and personal, around the clock, and you're not going to get away with it. You're away from it. So we turn, turn to our text, Jeremiah chapter 29. And learn a couple of lessons of why God does what He does. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read starting in verse 4. 29 verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all who were carried away captive, whom I caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives, have children, sons, daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may have sons and daughters. So we're now three generations down the line. Here he says, so that you can increase and not be diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your magicians who are in your middle, the midst of you deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which they cause you to be dreamed. So... They will prophesy falsely to you in my name. I haven't sent them, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, For seventy years are completed at Babylon. I will then visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says God. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call on me and go and pray to me. And then I will listen to you. Then you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you. And I will bring you to the place that I took you away from captive. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David. Concerning all the people who live in this city. And concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will make them like rotten figs that can't be eaten because they are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and I will deliver them the trouble of all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among the nations where I have driven them, because they have not listened to my words, says the Lord, which I sent by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Neither would you pay attention, said the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. All of you of the captivity who I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab and Zedekiah, 
who prophesy and lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He will kill them right in front of you. And because of them, a curse will be on uh, all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel and committed adultery with their neighbors' wives and spoke lying words in my name, which I didn't command them to. Indeed, I know, and I am a witness, says the Lord. P.S. You shall speak to Shemaiah. That's what this basically is. This is a little P.S. to one guy. You, spell, you shall speak to Shemaiah the Nehelamite, saying, This is what the Lord of the host says, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah the son of Messiah the priest, and to the, all the priests. And your letter said, The Lord makes you priest instead of Jehoiada, so that there would be officers uh, over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet. Knock them in prisons and stocks. And so therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah, who makes himself a prophet to you? Because he sends us into Babylon and says, the captivity is going to be long. So build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit. So, so Shimei didn't like Jeremiah because Jeremiah didn't say nice things. So he took Jehoiada, uh, the prophet, and he got rid of that prophet. And he put another prophet in his place uh, who, would, who would kind of uh, punish Jeremiah. So, so God said, had a little special... Uh, note for him. A couple of things that he says uh, that I want to draw attention to that explain how God does things contrary to the way we might think. He says, first of all, build houses and live there. Get used to it. Why? Well, as we said in chapter 25, he predicts and even here he repeats it that they were going to be there for 70 years. In chapter 24, he had, he had given this illustration, which he refers again to, about the figs. And there was good figs, and there was these rancid figs. They're so rancid you couldn't eat them. And he says, that's what this group of people, that's what this generation is like. And so, there was a significant portion, at least, of the Jewish population that was unusable. And so God proposed to eliminate them through a number of means. One of these is actually mentioned back in chapter 21, in verse 8. He says, Now you shall say to this people, this is what the Lord says, Behold, um, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Whoever remains in the city, Jerusalem, will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against this city. So, so basically he proposed a test that he knew they couldn't pass. He says, go out, humble yourself, surrender to the enemy. And everything's going to go good. But he knew that there was at least a significant portion of them that just couldn't surrender. They, they couldn't give in because God had always defended Jerusalem. And they're like, no, God's going to do it again. And so this was one way that God just eliminated a group. He says, I, here's a test. If they go, then they'll survive. But he knew that they just couldn't resist rebellion. And it was a test that they could have passed. I mean, they could if they wanted to. But he just knew they're so stubborn. Babylonians will take care of them. There's a, a significant portion. Now, some of them got taken, and, and there was still this other group of people that God had to deal with, and so, so they got taken to Babylon. There's still this other group of people that they still like idols. And so he says, well, we're going to deal with them a different way. 
they're going to be there for a while. Now, some of them are going to die, but they might have kids who are still kind of this, this same rebellious nature against me. So what we're going to do is we're going to have them get married and have kids and get married and have kids and get married and have kids. And we're going to do that a number of times. And the people who want to stay, who just decide, I like it, well, they'll stay. And the people who kind of survived this, the, this, this, the good strain, I guess, if you call it, you know, the, this, this good group of people that just decide after 70 years of this, that they're just sick and tired of this, they never got used to it, and they're never going to do it, they'll come back. And I will have successfully got, through these two means, I will have successfully got rid of the people who like idols. And it worked. They came back, and you never read again about idols. You will never read uh, again in the Old Testament uh, after, now I'm not talking about after Jeremiah or whatever, but if you read the books that were written after they come back, you will not read about idols. It's gone. Jesus didn't come here and have to tell the, 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 the Jews who were alive in his day about idols. It wasn't the thing because God weeded it out. The people who liked it stayed where there's idols. Now, not everyone who stayed liked idols. I know this because we read in, in the beginning of Matthew, we read that Magi, Magi is a Persian name, by the way. Uh, it, some of them left from, from, uh, from the ones that moved from Babylon, like, like uh, Nehemiah, for example, stayed in, in, in uh, Persia. And, and Magi, that is Persian wise men, came to Bethlehem looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. So there was a group of people that stayed behind that were still interested and taught people the truth. They just didn't feel like moving back. But God did things, and he says, listen, live there, get used to it. You're going to be there a while. We live in a pagan world. And God says, get used to it. We talk about heaven, and heaven is a great goal, and heaven is something to think about. And it's a, it's a long-range thing to think about. Just like, just like going back to Jerusalem was a long-range thing to think about. But he says, in the meantime, get used to life here. You live here. You're going to have to make the best of it. Now... That doesn't mean I like the stuff that I'm around, much like they were told. Listen, don't like the idols. But you better get used to having a job, having a family, doing things here. Mike talked last week about kids that are getting ready in the next year to leave for college, or this year. And it is a pagan world. So I am giving you permission to be rebellious. This is one of the things that God gave them permission to rebel against and while they were in Babylon. He said, rebel against the paganists. Rebel against all that. You want to rebel? Rebel against that. So that you can come back with the same character that I, that I intended for you. Be rebellious. Unless you go into the world with a determination to rebel against it, you will not survive it. They will attempt to convince you of things and get you involved in things that are opposed directly to God. So rebel against it.
We have to build houses and live in this world. We better know how to do it so as to survive. Second thing, he says, pray for the city you're going to. What? I hate the city where I'm in. I hate my surroundings. I hate this, everything about it. God never said hate the people. You can hate the stuff they do. Rebellion does not mean hate. When I say rebel against the things of the world, I'm not saying hate the people who want you to do those things. They're confused and blind and lost. They're not the source of the evil. As we look around us today, we see a world that can't separate between hatred of things and people. That's all around us. I don't know if we've ever lived in in a more angry world than we live in right now. And and people can't separate what they dislike in other people and the people themselves. They do this thing, and therefore I have to hate that person. He said, pray for them. (coughs) What do you pray for? When I'm surrounded by evil, I pray for deliverance from the evil, don't I? I want God to take me out of the situation where the evil is. But God has a different method. He says, why don't you pray for the source of the evil to change? Then you won't have to leave it. Then you won't have to avoid it. So pray for the people who are involved in the evil. Pray for those people. And understand that God changed Nebuchadnezzar. God took this awful, proud, murderous, vile human being, the likes of the most notorious people that you would think of that could lead a country, and he turned them so God can do it. Pray for the city. And three. I want to go back to Jeremiah chapter 6 for just a second. Verse 14. He says, They have healed the hurt of my people only a little, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Don't pay attention to your preachers. What? <laughs> That's what he said. He said, Don't pay. Jeremiah 29 goes through and says, Don't listen to the prophets. They're going to come and tell you nice things. So when I say, don't pay attention to your preachers, don't pay attention to the preachers who just say, oh, everything's going to be nice and wonderful and there's nothing wrong. If, if nothing's ever wrong, then, then someone's lying to you. Someone's selling you something. The preacher who tells you what you want to hear is useless. He calls them a rancid fig. Figs don't mean much to us today. Probably half of this, half of the people here don't either haven't eaten a fig or, or don't know if they have. Is in one of those fruit cakes or something that you get at Christmas and just kind of stays there until you throw it away. I don't know. Figs were important back then. Uh, in a, in a desert, that's what they would feed uh, horses and camels on long trips, and it was it was it was it was what they survived on a lot of times. Very important. One version says they, they treat 
this like a non-serious wound. Right? They treat a serious wound like a boo-boo. Kid gets a boo-boo, what does he do? He runs to mom. Runs to mom and uh, she has the magic kiss. Mom has the magic kiss for the boo-boo. Did the world is falling apart until, until the kiss and, and then he's running off again and it's all wonderful. Dad's kiss don't work like that, I don't know why. But, but uh, they don't work like that. They don't even stop. If, 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 Katie, if, if one of our kids has, has a boo-boo, if, if he's got it in the living room, and I'm sitting in my easy chair, and mom is in the back room, let's say he, he wounded his foot, he will run on a wounded foot to the back room, he will go right by me, <laughs> to the back room so that mom can deal with him. I've got to intercept him if, if, I, wanna, if, if I wanna help him. He's not interested. I don't have the magic kiss. And as soon as he gets the magic kiss, he's off and running again. He's fine. And he says, this is how... They, these prophets, they, they, treat, they treat a serious wound like they've got a magic kiss for a serious wound. Listen, if he's, if he's bleeding profusely, the magic kiss ain't going to work. But he says, they treat that like a little, like a little flesh wound, like, like a little small thing. That's how, how they treat this serious problem. Don't pay attention to them. Jeremiah kept saying, listen, you're going to captivity. They said, no, 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 no. It'll be all right. You'll see. Nope. <laughs> there are those that want to soft pedal the gospel. They want to make this... The Bible says a lot about grace, and it says a lot about love. It says a lot about hope, and there's a lot of beautiful topics. Those are probably the most important topics. But they're not the only topics. There is nothing more important than the love of Christ. There's no more important topic than the love of Christ. And the grace that is, is given and offered. There's, there's no topic that's more, worth more to talk about. But I can't talk about that and ignore that there are requirements. Gospel is a message of change. And change implies that the status quo is not acceptable. That, that I can't come to God and accept grace if I'm not accepting that I need grace. What good is grace if I don't need it? This life is a journey. It comes more into line with just the process of, of coming into line with God's idea for my existence. Because on my own, I've left God's idea for my existence. I've, I've, I've made up my own, my own ways of coping. We talked about that. My own ways of doing things, and, and those tend to get me into problems. They tend to hurt me. They tend to hurt others around me. And so when, when, when someone comes and says, here's a nice, easy solution, it doesn't require much of you at all. That's a dangerous, dangerous answer. I do need to change. Because we're on this process. 
in this life where, where God says, okay, one step closer, one step closer, rebel against this, rebel against that, but do this. Then I can take you to that thing that's way down the road. Then we get to that, that wonderful place. As we close, it's already been offered once this morning to start that change. If you haven't, God says, it is a thing of grace. There is an offering to, to come and, and, and I will let you start to change. And, and I will forgive the stuff that's passed. And, and anybody who wants, no matter what the past is, just like, just like in Babylon, he says, anybody who goes and submits, you'll be rescued. The question is, can I submit to Christ? Can you submit this morning to let Christ change you? Or, or, or are you going to walk out the door and say, no, I know how to do it. What I've always done is going to work for me. I just know it. Some people can't make the change. Some people can't submit. As we sing, I invite you to make the change and submit to Christ.